Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all having a great day, a great morning. We've got a great topic today. I, I would say and, and warn you that this topic is almost one of those hard topics, um, except the way I see it is if the truth is hard to hear at first, don't worry, hang in there because then the truth will set you free if you allow it to. So kind of a tough love, but the underlying denominator is complete love. For the sake of helping, I'm recording today's sermon, uh, so it's not just you guys. I'm not just <laughs> talking to you guys. I think the topic is extremely interesting, extremely important, and uh, very and very relevant. And I, I think it'd be good for it to be broadcasted. I really do. So I'm recording. I'm recording this sermon today. Um, I'm going to start off this sermon with a, a parable that will help you really understand what I'm going for here. I just want to say my heart in this is to help. And for people to see this particular section of God's word as Jesus's love for everybody, to help them think critically and, and to come to truth, especially come to him for salvation. So my heart is to, to help and to educate and help people open up their minds in terms of what is the truth. And that's very vague, but you'll understand better as I go into this parable, okay? Or at least a modern metaphor. Just imagine your favorite superstar athlete, whoever you can imagine. Um, I'm choosing LeBron James just because he's not my favorite, but I got to see him play a couple years ago in a Lakers game. I thought that was exciting. Um, just imagine LeBron James is just about to sit down with his family for dinner when he hears a knock at the door. You don't normally think about this, but imagine him getting up to answer the door. When he opens the door, there stands a random fan of his wearing his jersey his shoe brand, other clothing brands, looking like he has the same hairstyle, a basketball in his hands, and maybe a foam finger, and a great big happy smile on his face. The fan excitedly asks upon looking at LeBron James, Hey, can I come eat dinner with you? Besides, how did you get past my security? I'm sure LeBron James would probably say something along the lines of, I don't know you, go away. Then the fan would plead with him and say, I've watched all your games live. I've bought all your products. I've, I've got season tickets. I'm your biggest fan. LeBron James would shut the door and call a security team. You know why? I'll tell you why. Family eats at his dinner table, not fans. Family, not fans. Imagine that type of situation happening in heaven when, when we all die, when we're all face-to-face -face at the gates of heaven, imagine Jesus saying, I don't know you. Security! That'd be kind of scary. It's actually in the Bible. It used to be, I thought, was the scariest verse in the Bible. It's actually in the Bible. Let's, let's take a look at that. It's at the very, it's a, almost the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. This is Jesus talking. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the, the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Looks like Jesus accepts only family in his home too, not fans. This whole situation is really disturbing, but it really begs the question, how far can you go living a Christian life and still not go to heaven? 
How close can you come and still be rejected by Jesus and sent into hell? I mean, that's what's going on in this passage, right? According to Jesus, it looks like you can come pretty close and still be rejected. Having read the passage, we can see who Jesus rejects from the kingdom of heaven. You can also inadvertently see who Jesus accepts in a way as well. Jesus obviously accepts the true believer in him. Just think of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not die but have everlasting life. We're going to explore what it means to have true belief in this. Because think about this. Jesus rejects the unbeliever, of course, but this passage is talking about a specific kind of unbeliever. Jesus rejects what we can call for this topic the make-believer. Make-believer. Make-believe. Pretend. Pretend Christian. Who is a make-believer in Jesus? A make-believer is anyone who thinks they're saved by Jesus when they are not actually saved by Jesus. They believe that Jesus has saved them when Jesus has not saved them. They associate themselves with Jesus, like they're Jesus' biggest fans, but they will be rejected forever. You're probably thinking, who exactly are these type of people? What type of people would have this situation happen to them? And that's why we're going to really dig into this, this passage. I'm going to use some philosophy that's going to help you understand uh, spiritual realities as well as just logic. You know, if things work in the natural realm logically, they're going to work in the spiritual realm as well. I'll, I'll go into that a little more. Um, and, you know, these people in this passage, these make-believers, they define themselves, and then Jesus reveals the core of every make-believer. It's an important journey. It's an important passage. Just track with me on this. This could change your life. You don't want to be Jesus' biggest fan. You want to be Jesus' family, okay? So listen, true believers of Jesus are forever family. So they obviously have, obviously have true belief in Jesus, true belief, and they're accepted into heaven. Therefore, something about the beliefs of these make-believers in Matthew 7 are incorrect, uh, incomplete, not right. They're false. They're incorrect beliefs. And therefore, that prevents them from going to heaven. Something about their belief system is incorrect. It's not true salvation. So let's talk about the incorrect beliefs of the make-believer. The first incorrect belief is that they determine whether or not Jesus is their Lord by what they say. Verse 21, take a look. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So they self-proclaim that Jesus is their Lord by merely saying it, right? The kind of uh, name it and claim it type thing, right? Listen, here's a philosophical truth. You ready? You can say what you want, but what you believe doesn't determine what is true. I'll say that again. What you believe doesn't determine what is true. To quote Rick Warren, he said, some people say, I believe it, and therefore it's true. He said, no, something is true whether you believe it or not. It kind of, its status is truth. It's a matter of whether or not you believe it. Let me go a little further. If I believe I'm a dolphin, does that make it true? Is anybody going to answer that? <laughs> no, right? What if I believe with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength that I'm a dolphin? See what I did there? See, see what I did there? Yeah. No, I will never be a dolphin no matter how much I believe I'm a dolphin, right? I mean, look at me. You can have the strongest belief. I am so sure that I'm a dolphin. It's just not true, right? If it's, in, if it's based in reality, 
it's just true. If it's not, it's just a belief that's not truthful. In similar fashion, these make-believers are sure. They call Jesus their Lord twice, revealing the absoluteness of their belief. You are my Lord, Lord, Lord. Jesus flat out rejects them. So it begs the question, are you saved by Jesus or do you just think you're saved by Jesus? Or do you just believe you're saved by Jesus, right? It's also clear that in their conversation with Jesus, they've known about Jesus. You can say from this passage, a second incorrect belief is just believing that Jesus is real will save you. Just knowing the facts about Jesus, right? Believing he, everything about him is true. Listen, historians who don't care at all about Jesus agree that he existed. Jesus is a real man. And additionally, there's too much evidence to conclude that not only is Jesus real, but everything he claimed and did is true as well. Look up, look up the book, The Case for Christ, if you really want to go more on that subject. Um, that could be another sermon for another time as well. But in a, in a shortcut statement, everything in the Bible written about Jesus is fact. However, knowing the factual information about Jesus doesn't save you. Just think about this truth. We'll go into this more too. When Jesus was on earth, the people that hated him saw him, right? They were eyewitness haters of Jesus. They're not going to heaven. But he was true, real, and plain as day to them, but they don't, they don't care about him. So you can't have true belief if you never hear the true information about Jesus, but it doesn't stop with just believing that Jesus is real or even knowing that Jesus is real. A third incorrect belief is that doing good things and appearing to be good ensures salvation. The make-believers in this passage think doing good things will guarantee their entry into heaven. Another way to put it is that these people think their great works show that they're saved by Jesus. Well, I must be saved because look at all these things I'm doing for Jesus, right? Verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? It's a good list of things to do. Jesus rejects them. He doesn't deny that they did any of those things. They did those things. And you learn from this passage that you don't have to be a Christian to do those things. You can go into, let me go into that a little bit. Look, anybody can prophesy in the name of Jesus. Anybody. You know why? Because it's relaying the word of God. That's what prophesying is. Prophesy is relaying the word of God. An atheist can study God's word and teach it. It's a text. But also, we learn from the Bible that God can puppet anybody to speak his word. I'll talk about that more later too. Anybody can cast out demons. That's the second great thing they think they did. Here's a reason why. Because the name of Jesus is powerful and it moves things around in the spiritual realm. Not the people, not the person using the name of Jesus and in the name of Jesus. You know, if you want more on that, read Acts, I don't know what the chapter is, but it's the um, seven sons of Sceva, the uh, uh, not very successful deliverance ministry in the New Testament. So really, you can, you can cast out demons, but it comes to a point if you're not saved by Jesus. But you can still do it. Anyone can do impressive things and then slap a Jesus label on it. That's the last point. Do many mighty works, right? Say, in the name of Jesus, I'm doing this. You know, you know there lot, anybody can do humanitarian works or accomplish great things. And they say, well, I wanted to do this for Jesus. Doesn't mean you're saved. So listen, in a quick summary about actual belief in Jesus, it's not believing you're saved by Jesus. It's not just knowing the truth about Jesus, and it's not about doing good works in the name of Jesus. If anyone bases their eternity on these three things, then Jesus will reject them eternally. All right, I'm going to go into some specifics on how that, that can play out today. 
um, just a couple of things that I think I, I want you to open up your mind to. And this is part of thinking critically and using logic to help us establish what is true and what is not. Because that's a big part of it is understanding what is true. So I'm gonna, so let's go into the first incorrect belief and see how see something that happens today that could play into that. This is what I mean, okay? Saying the sinner's prayer could be a form of the first incorrect belief, okay? Because if it's just words, it doesn't mean anything. You know, some people are like, I pray the sinner's prayer, therefore I'm saved. You're going to find out later on through Jesus revealing why they were rejected, why just saying words and just believing isn't good enough or it doesn't actually show true belief. And remember the uh, first point I made. You can say what you want. It's not necessarily true. I've seen the sinner's prayer written out saying, uh, I believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world and based upon my belief that I claim in faith that I'm saved. It's like you can't claim anything in faith that you're saved. Repeating words and saying and claiming salvation doesn't determine anything. It's either Jesus save, it's Jesus saving you, not you saying that Jesus has saved you, right? And think about this. If you pray a prayer and someone else says that you're saved by Jesus, you know, who are they to say that? What they say doesn't necessarily determine reality either. It's based upon whether or not, this is like that verse says, if the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. And I'm going to say this. This is the common denominator um, of not uh, about the sinner's prayer. Don't trust it. And here's a reason why. It is not even found in God's word. Something Francis Chan pointed out within the last few years. He looked at the camera to the whole world, flipped the Bible through and said, where's the sinner's prayer? Where is it in here? I'll answer that question for him. Nowhere. And he said, why are we leading people into the sinner's prayer if it's not found in God's word? Because listen, no one in the Bible is saved by Jesus by praying the sinner's prayer. Philip didn't lead the Ethiopian official through the sinner's prayer to be saved, right? That's the main reason not to trust it. And it just comes down to the same, the first incorrect belief, just saying words and just believing that you believe that you believe. Well, it's just belief, not necessarily rooted in reality. Here's another one I'm going to say. And yeah, don't, don't be scared. Just think critically because this, this is all helpful, okay? Also, if you asked Jesus into your heart and you believe that to be true, be suspicious enough to realize it might or probably is not true. Because listen, nobody was saved by Jesus by asking Jesus into their heart in the Bible, okay? And I'll say this. The Holy Spirit, not Jesus, enters your soul as a result of true salvation from Jesus, He's a, the Holy Spirit's a result. I think that's what people mean. They say, okay, saved people have the Holy Spirit in them. So therefore, I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit. Well, you, that's the result of the cause. The cause is salvation in Jesus. The result is you get the Holy Spirit indwelling within your soul. Okay? You cannot ask for a result of something without the cause. Here's an example. <laughs> a little crude, but here we go. If you go to a fast food drive through you can't pull up to the pickup window and ask directly for heartburn. Can I have some heartburn, please? You need the cause first, then you get the result, right? So you need to order, pay for it, and then eat the unhealthy food before you get the heartburn you're looking for, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> Something needs to happen before you just ask for the result, right? The cause of the Holy Spirit in your heart is true salvation in Jesus first. So no one was saved by Jesus by asking Jesus into their heart in the Bible. That's not how it works. That's why be suspicious about it. Okay, and then the, then the next point I'm going to say is, being used by God to do gospel-related work does not mean you're saved by Jesus. God uses whomever he wants for his glory and purposes. Many people are used by God. They don't even know God, just like King Cyrus in the Old Testament. 
He didn't know God. I think the hope was that he would turn to God for salvation. Now, here's the part of what I said before about God puppeting anybody to, to, say his, to give his message and give his word. God spoke through a donkey who's not made in the image of God. God can use anybody. And this is a kicker, I think. One of the most evil men instrumental in putting Jesus to death is named Caiaphas. The Holy Spirit prophesied through him that Jesus would die for the sins of the people. And Caiaphas hated Jesus. The Holy Spirit used him to prophesy that Jesus would die for the sins of the people. That's the gospel, folks. And Caiaphas hated Jesus. What does that make Caiaphas? It makes him used by God, destined for hell. Whoa! Gospel-related works does not guarantee salvation. So listen, in a summary, again, it's not just believing you're saved by Jesus. It's not just believing that Jesus is real. It's not doing great things in the name of Jesus. So what is it? You're probably wondering at this point. So all those are incomplete and incorrect beliefs that don't guarantee salvation based upon this passage. So you're thinking, what is it? What is true belief in, belief in Jesus that guarantees passage into heaven? I'll say this. It's pretty simple, folks, but we complicate it. It's what, it's what God's been saying all along, and Jesus reveals this in verse 23. This is what Jesus said. This is Jesus talking, too. He says, And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. They are workers of lawlessness. That's the reason why they're rejected. What is lawlessness? 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin is also practicing lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. It's a lifestyle of sin, basically. They keep on sinning. They don't stop. They want to believe what's right, say what's right, look like they're right, but they still want to keep doing wrong. Jesus spoke similarly to a group of religious leaders who were definitely make-believers. Matthew 23, 28, he says to the Pharisees, so you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A make-believer is anyone appearing good, but wanting to do bad. And now what is, what is the reason for that? It's because they're not really truly saved by Jesus. They do all the things on the outside that a Christian would do because they've learned it, but they don't have God's Holy Spirit controlling them within them because they didn't really turn to Jesus for salvation because they still wanted to keep doing bad things right? It's a a make-believer is anyone appearing good but wanting to do bad. Look, John, this type of person is going to be rejected forever, and John confirms the eternity of one who keeps on sinning. 1 John 3, 8-9, the one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God into his family practices sin continues, keeps doing sin, because his seed, the Holy Spirit, abides in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. So if you are continually making a practice of sin, it it actually reveals that you're not born of God, you are not going to heaven. So this is what Jesus is saying to the make-believers in Matthew chapter 7. You knew I was real, you believed that I could save you, you wanted to look righteous on the outside, but you still wanted to keep sinning in the ways you knew about. So what does this mean? To turn away from sin is to truly believe in Jesus, right? Workers of lawlessness, to stop the working of lawlessness is the true belief in Jesus. You're showing your true belief in Jesus by stopping the working of lawlessness. This is, this is why sin is the ultimate way of saying to God that we don't trust him and we don't believe him. Not just believe in him. 
Demons do that. They don't care about God. No, that we believe him at his word. We may have some good works on one part of our lives, and then in the other part, we have all the sin we keep on doing. Those, it's almost like you're, someone like that is trying to cover over their sin by distracting people with all these good things. Both end up being bad because the sin's not dealt with and it's not stopped. When we sin, we're turning away from God, right? So you can believe all the facts about God. You can believe everything about Jesus, but still be turning away from him by still sinning. So we should actually turn to Jesus by turning away from sin. What does this mean? The person that actually wants to stop sinning is the person ready to be saved by Jesus. Let me say that again. This is important. The person that actually wants to stop sinning is the person ready to be saved by Jesus. So much of the Bible is dedicated to God commanding sinners to repent. Repent. What does that mean? It means to turn around, turn the other way. God says, repent of your sins too many times in the Bible. It's been the whole way, ever, the whole time. So repent of your sins means to turn away from your sins. It means to stop sinning. Turn from your wicked ways. It's not just knowing you should stop. It's actually doing it. The person that actually wants to stop sinning is the person ready to be saved by Jesus. Now listen, what did the preaching of John the Baptist, Jesus, and Peter have in common? Did they all say just to pray a salvation prayer? Did they all say, believe with all you got? Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. No. All three said, repent. Stop sinning. Stop sinning so you can be ready for Jesus to save you. It shows that you want to have your sins dealt with because you're recognizing that's the problem. Look, John the Baptist was considered the greatest man of all time by Jesus until Jesus came. You know why? He wanted to prepare people for salvation in Jesus. How? He wanted to prepare people's hearts to turn away from sin. That was his whole mission, to help people want to stop sinning, to prepare their hearts to be ready to be saved by Jesus, right? He gave practical advice to help people steer their hearts away from sin by replacing their sinful actions with good acts, with good things to do. The point wasn't the good things. That was helpful. The point was stopping the bad things. It's like your dog in your house that wants to chew electric cords. Give the dog a bone so he doesn't chew the electric cord. Because more important than chewing a bone is not chewing the electrical cord and getting a little electric shock. Right? More important than doing good things is not doing sin when it comes to salvation in Jesus. It shows that you actually want salvation in Jesus. You're actually turning to Jesus. It's not just an easy escape. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free thing. So you're thinking, okay, well, what should we stop? How do we sin? Well, think about this. God gave us the Ten Commandments to help us understand the sins we should stop. The Ten Commandments are mostly a list of don'ts anyway, right? Stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing this. Because guess what? Stop sinning. That's what God said. It's not about just doing all these great things. Stop doing this. That's the most important thing. Without this God-given list of don'ts, you'll never know what sin you should stop. And you'll never know if you're a continual worker of lawlessness or not. Right? You could be a worker of lawlessness in secret and think you're getting away with it too. Because look, all sin starts with an inner desire to sin. That's why Jesus preached in Matthew 6 to not only not murder, he took it further and said, don't hate another person because that's secret murder within. Jesus also said it's not enough to, sorry, Jesus said it's also not enough to just not commit adultery. Don't even lust with your eyes over another person. You know that cultural principle, look but don't touch? That does not apply when it comes to heaven, Right? As with all the commandments, it's not just not doing it, it's the heart. It's who you are within. It's your thoughts, and especially whether or not you want to sin. 
Because we can continue to lust, hate, lie, covet, steal, curse, and dishonor our parents and God secretly and still claim to be saved by Jesus without wanting to stop these secret sins. It's sin. It's lawlessness, even if no one can see it. You cannot hide all of that from God. And if you continue to do secret sins and you deep down want to do them, you are a worker of lawlessness and Jesus will reject you no matter what you say and believe. So listen, you know, maybe you need to force yourself to, or just try whatever you can to stop your mental sins, right? Some advice right here. Jesus in Matthew 18 says, he goes to an extreme. He says, you might need to just cut off your hand or your foot or gouge out your eye because it's causing you to sin. That's how, that's how intensely Jesus feels about sin. Stop it. Stop it. That's what he's saying. Why does he say this? Why does he say, start chopping body parts off? He says, because it's better to go to heaven missing some limbs than have your whole body go to hell. Listen, okay? <laughs> I know, I know. I personally don't suggest cutting off body parts, okay? I'm just going to say that. You don't want to have no eyes and limbs and still have an impossibly sinful mind, right? However, do the next best thing. Stop looking where you shouldn't look. Stop owning what you shouldn't have. Stop eating what you shouldn't eat. Stop going where you shouldn't go. Stop doing what you shouldn't do. Stop thinking what you shouldn't think. Just stop. You can actually help it. You can actually help it, right? Oh, that, al- that bottle of alcohol just held me at gunpoint. I had to drink it. No, you didn't. You didn't even have to buy it. You don't have to look at it. Do whatever you can to stop that sin, right? That might, that might actually prepare your heart for salvation in Jesus. Otherwise, you're just associated with Jesus. You're his biggest fan. You're, you know, on every committee, uh, excuse me, every committee in church, but you're still sinning. <clears throat> and if you really can't see any ways in which you can repent, if there's any, if you're like, I don't see any other way in which I can stop sinning, then, and then there's no hope for you. Okay. And that's a tough love statement right there, but it's true. Now, now you may think because of how we're taught in today's churches, Wait a minute, I thought simply believing in Jesus activates the grace of Jesus and he overlooks my sin. I'm just going to say this right now. The grace of God is not letting you get away with sins. The grace of God is choosing you for salvation regardless of good or bad, and it's taking away your sins and making you more like Jesus. So you're not just a perpetual loser guaranteed to go to paradise, right? God wants you to partake in his divine nature, which means sinlessness. As God develops his children into being more like Jesus, you sin less because you're becoming more like Jesus who was sinless. So just think about that. God, God does make it easier for you to stop sinning if you're truly saved by Jesus, right? And think about this too. God also disciplines his child when, you, when the child sins, child of God sins, so to help you learn to stop that sin. And consider this truth. God disciplines those he loves. If you consider yourself a Christian, you've unremorsefully gotten away with sins all your life, then God, you're probably not God's child. Because God would have helped you already. Because that's how God feels about sins. Remember that verse we read earlier, um, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin. So if you're like, oh, God just loves me so much because I keep getting away with a sin. No, you probably have an unsaved unrepentant heart that God's not disciplining. Sin is still in you. You haven't overcome it because you're not saved. You still want to sin. You are a worker of lawlessness. I know, tough love right there. Remember, guys, I'm not talking just to you guys, you know. I'm talking, I'm recording this, right? You may also think, oh, but I thought that we're not saved by works. Isn't turning away from sin good works? This is important. This is important. Somebody needs to hear this. 
The question is, isn't turning away from sin good works? No. Stopping sinning is inactivity. Stopping anything is not doing anything. Stopping sinning is stopping activity sending you to hell. Imagine you go up to your, your doctor drinking a, a, the most healthy nutrition drink you can. You know, you have your sweatbands on or whatever you work out in and, and you're telling him, doctor, I am so healthy. Look at all the good things I'm doing. But then you're punching yourself in the stomach like this, punch, punch. I'm not really doing it. I'm just pretending punch, 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 punch. It's like the doctor's like, okay, I appreciate you wanting to be healthy, but you really need to stop that bad thing so you can actually be healthy. Stop punching yourself in the, in the stomach, Right? But then watch what happens when I'm done punching myself. Stop. Look what happens when I stop. It's a good thing. It's not a good work. Am I working at all? No. I've stopped. I'm not doing anything. So when you're stopping sinning, you're stopping. It's not, it's not work. It's not good works. It's stopping the work that's sending you to hell. Stopping sinning is getting you ready for a life of spiritual good health, true salvation in Jesus. I'm going to say this. You will know that if you're truly saved by Jesus after six months to a year of committing your life to Jesus, you were looking more like Jesus, you know, stopping sin and following his ways and commands. If you've gone back to old sinful habits and mindsets and have no desire to read God's word, tell people about Jesus, serve people, those are good works, created created in Jesus for good works, or deny oneself honor and praise, then reconsider whether or not you've ever been saved. The issue is sin, whether you want it or not. Because think about it. Now, I believe that some people, upon hearing the gospel, they're saved right then and there. But listen, stopping sin, repentance, is a mark of the person truly saved by Jesus. Whether you stop the sin to prepare your heart for Jesus or you're saved by Jesus and then you want to stop all the sins you've done before. Or you, and, and you can. Repentance is a part of the Christian life. So you're going to be, if you're going to stop, you're not going to be a worker of lawlessness either before you're saved by Jesus to prepare your heart for Jesus or after. The make-believer, though, already knows about Jesus. They need to stop the working of lawlessness so they can turn to Jesus for real. You know, it's not if you say, oh, I don't want to sin. That sounds unpleasant. Because listen, your actions speak louder than words. Your secret thoughts scream the truth before God. Listen, Jesus is the only one who can take away your sin. But if you're holding on to it, thinking it's not that bad, you will keep it and die with it forever. If you want life forever with Jesus, stop fooling yourself. It's not about being a fan of Jesus. Stop ignoring your honest thoughts. Stop pretending to be a Christian. Stop playing games. Stop sinning. Just stop. So listen, I'm going to go into this. Actually, this is my testimony. Yeah. So, because this applies. When I think about the sinner's prayer and I think about things like altar calls, nothing wrong with altar calls, but I think about the sinner's prayer when I think about asking Jesus into my heart, it hits close to home. Because... I did all those things. Listen, let me tell you what a make-believer turned true believer in Jesus looks like, okay? I'm using myself as an example. I grew up in a Christian home. I accepted Jesus as my Savior, invited him into my heart at age eight, and got baptized a week later. Throughout my young life, I grew up going to church. I read the entire Bible over and over again. I led small groups. I led youth groups. I taught Sunday school. I went on missions trips. I had a good reputation in the church. My brother, who went to seminary, I impressed him with my Bible knowledge. 
I married a Christian woman when I was 28 years old, and we were both virgins. We saved each other. We didn't even kiss anybody else. We saved everything for each other. Now, that sounds like a good Christian boy, doesn't it? Right? I knew something was different three weeks into marriage. Something felt different. And I was questioning whether or not I was actually saved. Sure enough, the next three years was a time of turmoil for me, a rocky time for me and my wife, as we worked together in a Christian ministry. We worked for essentially an American orphanage, a group home for for poor children who are just struggling and they need a place to live and stay. So the 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 um, surrogate parents took care of these kids throughout the throughout the year, and my wife and I were surrogate parents for these poor kids. And that I'm just going to tell you, in Christian ministries like that, you need the uh, powerful love of Jesus. You need to be saved in order to do that. So therefore, my wife thrived. She was becoming more and more like Jesus. She was. It was getting easier and more delightful for her. Me, it was strange. Uh, I, on the other hand, I was crumbling into darkness and becoming less like Jesus. My thoughts were getting more sick and twisted. I was, I was not having a desire to actually love the kids. I was, um, everything that I read about the Bible was not applying to me. It was very different. I, my, my mind was going in very dark, twisted um, ways and thoughts about people and about Jesus. And um, I was just becoming more sinister. I was trying to hold it all together. I didn't end up doing anything awful. But the thing was, I knew something internally was wrong. So as a result, I was looking for answers. I answered many altar calls. I prayed the sinner's prayer many times after that. I got baptized again, made promises to God, went to a Christian counselor, joined accountability groups. I tried to exercise demons out of myself. And I even took psychotropic drugs, which I only tried for like a month because I realized it wasn't working. And none of these things weren't working. I couldn't live up to anything I believed from God's word. You know what else I did during that time? I started to repent. I started to stop thinking certain ways, doing certain ways, uh, having certain things that I shouldn't have. And as a result of stopping these sins, my life was changing. And then three years after we started that ministry, we actually ended up leaving because it was just too, it was just too odd for us. We were, we recognized something's not right. We're living a life. We're saying that we're, we have it all together and we're going to still work here. We moved to Springfield, Missouri for a new job opportunity. While there, we attended a mega church. And after sitting down in our seats, my wife looked around and said, she turned to me and she said, whoa, there are barely any Christians in this church. (coughs) I thought, Um, I thought to myself, what are you talking about? This place is packed. I didn't say that, but I thought it. Then the lead pastor got up on stage in front of the 100-person choir. It's a glorious church. At least once every Sunday, he would lovingly lovingly scream at his congregation something similar to this. He would say, you're in the church, but you're not saved. You're in the church, but you're not saved. You could be in the choir, teaching Sunday school, sitting in the pew, or preaching, and you're not saved. I'm saying this because I love you. He was from Mississippi, hence the accent. My first thought was, why is he yelling? Then I thought, you know, that's an interesting idea. People in the church are not saved by Jesus. I didn't really buy it. Three months later, after a three-year incredible process of repentance and trying to discover the truth for myself, I found myself at the place where I realized that despite my presumed spiritual resume, I was spiritually bankrupt. I finally realized that because of my secret sins, I was on my way to hell. 
my bad mindsets, my bad thoughts, everything that I, I still wanted to sin, I realized I'm on my way to hell. It made me break down sobbing at one point when I realized this. I pushed aside all my knowledge, just everything I knew about Jesus. I confessed a sin to God. I said, God, I, I've been hating my wife. That was one sin that I confessed, a very general sin. And then I pushed aside everything I knew about Jesus, all, all the understanding and education. I, and then I cried out to Jesus, and this is what I said. I said, Jesus, I thought I knew it all, but I don't. All I know is that it's you. Whatever you do, just do it. Do it. Does that sound like the sinner's prayer? No. Very genuine, but it's based upon repentance. From that point on, August 25th, 2017, everything was different. I saw the world differently. Even my wife, by the end of that day, was like, Tom, you're a different person. I can tell. I said, yeah, I feel different. It was subtle. But as, as, as time went on, I realized it wasn't so subtle, actually. I didn't feel at home in the world. That was one thing. But I felt so much joy. I didn't want to sin anymore. I could go to sleep in peace at night. It was getting easier to overcome sin. I had an incredible, genuine passion for Jesus, a love for Jesus, and wanting to proclaim the gospel. I was healing mentally, physically, and relationally, and every, it was different. This is what happened to me. After a whole period of time of repentance, I was born again because I got my heart ready for Jesus to actually save me. And in the right moment, in turning from sin, Jesus actually saved me. Now, here's, here's a strange thing. You ready for this? The next Sunday, I sat down in the church. I was excited. I'm like, oh, this is real now. I can tell. I'm excited to be in church. I looked around, and I was shocked. You know why? I'll tell you why. I turned to my wife, and I said, sweetie, there are barely any Christians in here. She nodded and said, now you know. This is a passion for me because I went from being one of the probably horrible, horribly too many make-believers in church to being a true believer in Jesus. I could see everything clearly. I felt the connection with other believers and there wasn't as much connection. You know, it's not, it's not just a downplay on mega churches. This can happen anywhere. You know, listen, during those tough three years of my life, I actually decided to repent of many, many things. I started to take God's word literally and my heart got ready to see that I wasn't saved by Jesus. I needed to stop sinning and cry out for Jesus to actually save me. So what did I do? I stopped doing what I shouldn't do. The Holy Spirit was even talking to, me and help, talking to me and helping me stop doing what I shouldn't do. So I stopped doing what I shouldn't do. I stopped looking where I shouldn't look. I stopped thinking what I shouldn't think. I stopped having what I shouldn't have. I stopped going where I shouldn't go. And I stopped lying to myself. I got my heart actually ready for the information about Jesus to turn into a plea and a recognition that I was on my way to hell and I wanted Jesus to accept me. I pleaded with Jesus to accept me and save me based upon the truth that I was a make-believer on my way to hell and in need of Jesus alone. I did whatever I could to stop sinning. In so doing, I was turning to Jesus I was turning away from sin, turning to Jesus, and at the right time, I could honestly and genuinely ask Jesus to save me. This is this is a cry of a heart of this is a, my heart's cry for more make believers in. Sorry, I'm sorry. Let me just say the whole thing again. This is my heart's cry for more make believers to finally become true believers in Jesus.
It's tragically sad for some people to come so close to Jesus, but never spend eternity with Jesus. So close, but yet forever far, right? Don't be a make-believer who says, I know Jesus is real. I know Jesus can save me. I know how to appear good. But I want to still do what I want to do and be in charge of my life. And I want to keep all the things that I have, good or bad, and claim to be a Christian. Listen, turn from sin and cry out to Jesus to save you and have true belief in Jesus. You do not want to die, see Jesus face to face, and then hear Jesus say, Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Jesus says this to all of us in Luke 13, 5. He says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Stop the bad work. Repent. Stop sinning. Turn to Jesus and look to Jesus alone to save you. All right, let's pray. 